Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe facillo as always joined by joe Rasinello. and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of the catholic faith to the new york city metropolitan area we are very pleased and honored today to be joined by the most reverend peter j elliott auxiliary bishop emeritus of melbourne australia um and the bishop is here to discuss with us uh, his new book, The Sexual Revolution, History, Ideology, and Power. Um, and that is available at Ignatius Press. For those of you watching this broadcast, uh, Bishop is holding up the book right now. And as we always say, please support our Catholic publishers. We were blessed enough recently, a uh, good friend of the show, Father Fessio, was on, who's the founder of Ignatius Press. We want to support Ignatius Press and our local Catholic bookstores. Very quickly, Bishop Elliott, as I said, is the Bishop Emeritus of Melbourne. He holds a doctorate from the John Paul II uh, Institute for Marriage and the Family in Rome. Uh, from 1987 to 1997, he serves, served as the Vatican's Pontifical Council for the Family, and he was the last director of the John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family in Melbourne. Bishop Peter Elliott, thank you for coming on the front line with Joe and Joe. Welcome. Great to be here, Joe and Joe. And, and one thing we do on this show, uh, Bishop, is that Joe and I, you know, some show, all, we like to think all of our conversations are important. The topic of this book, because Joe and I consider the sexual revolution to be the central problem in, in, in let's say, over the course of the last 60 or 70 years. We're so thrilled that you wrote the book because, as Joe and I always say, we get educated when we do these interviews as much as our audience does. So we are very, very um, look at we're very much looking forward to the conversation with that. I'm going to hand it over to Joe and we'll get going. Uh, Your Eminence, would you lead us in a prayer before we begin the conversation? Come, Holy Spirit, in this beautiful Easter season, guide us into all truth through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So let's jump right into it, Bishop. Um, ultimately, a lot of people, when they think sexual revolution, particularly in America, they think the 1960s, the summer of love, 1969, the whole deal. You don't begin there in the book. You begin in the no. 1660s, 17th century. Why? Because that's the truth. The sexual revolution, so-called, started to build up in Western Europe um, about, bit, about the time of the Reformation, a bit after the Reformation, in the 17th century, a lot of it was a reaction to Calvinist Puritanism. And uh, then you had the permissive levels, uh, high levels of society in Europe and Britain uh, in the 18th century, and the double standards of having mistresses and boyfriends and all that. Then it rolled into the 19th century, and it was, uh, it was just before and during the reign of Queen Victoria that um, you have the creatures, we could call them, um, I should be polite, the various thinkers who opened the way to population control, 
that's Bentham, uh, utilitarianism too, um, Bentham, and and you also have the uh, Malthus, I should say, for population. And that, that led to questions. And then along comes Darwin, and, and, and you get the question now raised, well, if everything's evolving, is morality evolving? And that's where you have the levering open of the human mind at uh, the more thinking levels of society in those days. And later on, you have Karl Marx coming along with a program of revolution. And if you look at Marx and Engels and Lenin, their target to be infiltrated and indoctrinated and indeed almost abolished is the family. So immediately you have sexual ethics coming up there. And it rolls on from there. The two world wars had a big effect, the first by, by soldiers living away from home in countries where their morality uh, collapsed, the home morality, um, they resorted to women, etc. We know all that. But that had a big effect when they came home after both wars. So that we see in the interwar period, you have different streams. Hollywood becomes looser. Popular ideas start to change. The British start to accept divorce, particularly when the king wants to get divorced, Edward the Eighth. And then you have the the rise of the totalitarians, Nazis and fascists, and communists. And they, their views on sexual ethics are rather complex but interesting. And they all um, lead to a state approval or control of sexual ethics, which often is not in line with the Judeo-Christian morality. Then you have the big, as you say, though, it's the 60s that really takes off in the post-war era uh, with the age of Aquarius and Woodstock, etc. And Bishop Peter Elliott's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. If you're just joining us here at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, we're discussing his new book, The Sexual Revolution, History, Ideology, and Power. Um, so you, you did obviously, uh, thank you, by the way, Bishop, for going over some of the historical figures. Does, does Nietzsche play into that also as, as an influence? Nietzsche plays an, a minor role in uh, national socialism and Hitler's ideology. Um, the Nietzscheans, who are prating away at universities again, alas, uh, they don't admit that because they say, oh, he wasn't anti-Semitic. But in fact, the model man, the superman that he presents is a person who maltreats women and who is the model for the SS the, and the Gestapo. So we, we're looking there at a, a, fig, a minor figure in the sexual revolution, but significant for the totalitarian systems. The uh, major figure would be an American woman, perhaps, Margaret Sanger, um, about which we know a great deal. She's a very complex person. But uh, her disordered life, from our point of view anyway, uh, finally led to her um, championing and, in fact, uh, working out the funds, etc., for the invention of the contraceptive pill. And that was the big breakthrough in the late 50s, the arrival of the contraceptive pill, which took contraception beyond the mechanical means and also hid contraception inside the body. Very interesting psychologically. And linked to that, running right through that, is the gradual rise of abortion as being legal and so-called safe. We know it's not safe for the baby, 
but it's uh, this is and that runs that it's important to realize that the sexual revolution of our times is essentially linked to abortion and to ready-made contraception different forms and that's why the debates at the moment over the abortion um, pill are very important uh, there I'd say that the sexual revolution is coming unstuck a bit because the abortion pill puts the onus the burden and the guilt onto the woman because she has to put it in her mouth mm-hmm. and uh, it's not she can't say oh the doctor did it to me or it's it shifts the blame to her and that and this is another theme I've noticed in writing this book. Um, I'm not a feminist with a capital F, but with a small F, I suppose I am. Because the victims, the first victims, are the family and women. And who reigns? Who rules in the sex revolution? Men. Look at the, uh, uh, the collapse of marriage. Men move from partner to partner, as they say these days. They get up and go away and leave the woman with a couple of babies. I, I had women at the front door of my house yesterday, battered women, two of them. And I, are they looking for help? And their husbands or boyfriends or whatever you want to call them got up and gone away, left them, and one of them was assaulted. But that's all. I believe the sexual revolution has promoted and encouraged domestic violence, not controlled it. Then you have the whole same-sex movement. Now, the church is pastorally very kind to homosexual women and men, but we're not going to change our teaching. And Pope Francis has made that clear. We're not going to change. We'd be pastorally kind, but we're not changing our teaching. And the same goes for the gender ideology. There we have the same approach, kind to those who want to switch gender, but certainly not allowing it for children that's disgraceful and very dangerous and in fact the gender ideology is helping the contemporary sexual movement in its uh, ideological forms and practice to crack and fall apart because that raises so many questions as we know in the public forum in sport medication children's rights etc so you have all these streams converging But I would say that one of the central characters of the sexual revolution, although personally he was a well-behaved man, was Antonio Gramsci, the communist ideologue of the 1930s who was apparently murdered by the fascists. But his ideas, he he broke with Moscow. He said, oh, you're not going to get a world revolution. We did a new form of Marxism where we penetrate the institutions subtly, slowly, later called the long march through the institutions, trade unions, churches, universities, schools, local government, state government, all these things are penetrated. And that's what's happening. And the major force in this wider social Marxist-inspired revolution is the sexual revolution. Absolutely. Let me, if you don't mind, Bishop Elliott, let me stay on Gramsci for a second. Um, oh, yes, please do. Um, here's my question. I've, I've said this before at the front line with Joe and Joe, or I've asked this before uh, of, of, our, of our guests, of my co-host, Joe Rasinello. Um, Gramsci proposed what, as you said, later on, I think it was Rudy Deutschke in Germany, uh, basically came up with the phrase, the long march through the institutions. He came up with it. Yeah, he right. Came up with it. 
Yeah. Why we know that theirs must be a long march through the institution because they're they're peddling nothing but lies. Okay, that's yeah. why it has to be a slow and steady yeah. and long march with subtle differences, especially when it comes to the church. Uh, you know, little subtle infiltrations um, and, until you get to your desired goal. Why do we? Bishop, this is my question. Once the lies have been exposed and they're out there anymore and you can't hide them, ours should not be a long exit for them out of the institutions. It should be very swift because once you've exposed the lies, you point out the lies and you show them the door. Where am I wrong in my assessment there, Bishop? You're too rational. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Much old-fashioned Catholic like me who uses the mind and the intellect and reason. Uh, and that's why a lot of social conservatives who aren't uh, devout Christians or devout Jews uh, are fighting their sexual religion on rational grounds. But that's not enough. You've got to have a strong ethic, a strong practice ethic based in the scriptures and natural law. You've got to have that. But if you look at society, Millions of people in the Western world, particularly, swallow the sexual revolution by the language it uses, which is very enticing. And it uses all sorts of approaches like egalitarianism and justice, etc. But in fact, it's, it's insidious. But we just, reason is important. But then you have the level of society, right across society, millions of people who don't reason. They react to the media indoctrination, and it's through that indoctrination, which comes from two main sources in ideology and practice. And I think the two sources are neo-Marxism and political correctness, is called today. You have that in the States. We have it here. What's PC? The sexual revolution is very PC. Don't get that wrong. But then you have to be careful. It's not just the political left that's been infiltrated and that is pushing this permissiveness. You find it on the political right through the big corporations because they think, oh, there's money to be made. Well, I just have to watch uh, advertisements in my country for frozen foods, some of the brands you know, and every advertisement these days has a same-sex couple popped in very briefly, male or female couple, and uh, using the product. They've been persuaded by the so-called experts in marketing that there's a big a gay market out there. Well, I doubt that. So it, you've got all those forces, whether they're political or social or in the world of business and industry pushing this. Thank you for that, Bishop Elliott. I know Joe wants to probably get into some of the building blocks of the sexual revolution. Joe, I'm going to hand oh, it over yeah. to you. Before you, we even get to that, I want to comment on something you said, because I agree with it, but I, I think we need to just blow it out a little bit. We have to be kind to the LGBT community. 100% the catechism says so. We have to respect them. We cannot discriminate yeah. against them. Absolutely 100% Catholic teaching. But let's talk about how that word kind is abused. The word accompaniment comes to my mind. There's a lot of misunderstanding currently in the church when it comes to how to handle that. For instance, can a gay couple receive the Eucharist? I say no. Catholic teaching says no. Uh, are we clear on the behavior, clear enough that we say we love you, but we love you enough to hope that you change, i.e. organizations like Courage, 
that promote yeah. chastity. This is not discussed. And frankly, when I talk like this, and I don't think I'm wrong, Bishop, and I don't think I'm being hateful, and frankly, I think I'm being very Catholic in what I'm saying. I'm called a hater. I'm called someone who's being harsh. I'm not embracing uh, the way that one should in handling this. Please clear those. Uh, if you ask me, I think they're incorrect ideas that are being thrown out within the church. I agree with you because there have been organizations um, that have uh, really been fronts for homosexual activity within Christianity. It's not just the Catholic Church, remember, this problem. And I've been a priest uh, for 50 years. Um, last February, I celebrated my golden jubilee. And in my ministry as a priest and a bishop, I've always been kind to homosexuals, some of whom are personal friends. And I saw, but I, but I must always go back to what I saw at university in the early 60s. I saw this destroying the lives of people, including friends of mine. I saw it destroying it. And so the pastoral concern is to help people be healed. Also, it's you're quite right. The bar to receiving the sacraments, it's not because you are so-called gay, and I don't like that word, but you're engaged in certain sexual practices which can only be lifted, as it were, by being absolved in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. So we have the... But the same discipline applies to marriage and divorce. There's been attempts in recent years to loosen that. And in some countries, like Italy, they've had some success, unfortunately, among the ordinary people, middle-class people, should say. But when it comes to this, it's church teachings crystal clear. You're not meant to do this and this because it's not open to life. It's not open to natural forms of love, life and love. And it's a destructive, ultimately destructive of people. So we want to heal you and help you, but we will accompany you. But that accompaniment must not imply approval of activity, sexual activity, because it cannot. That's our position. Bishop, so Bishop kind, Peter, hmm? go ahead, Bishop, I'm sorry. Kind but clear, that's what Bible says. Love it, thank you for that. Kind, kind but clear, I mean, it, it, it just speaks for itself. Let me ask you this, while, while we're on the subject of, of, of homosexuality, okay? Well, no, really, actually, we're just, we're talking about sexual, sexual liberation in general. Talk yes. to this idea, Bishop. Um, that those who would enslave you in this modern world are the ones that are telling you they're there to free you from the shackles of Puritanism, of Roman Catholicism, Roman, Roman Catholic teaching on sexual ethics and morality, when it's paradoxically the opposite, where, no, 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 no. The one who tells you that they're liberating you is actually your slave master, because they're telling you to follow your passions rather than your reason, and it's the church who's scre you know, screaming from the rooftops, you're allowing yourself to be enslaved through the idea that you're being liberated. Discuss well, that if you don't mind, Bishop, please. Well, I, I wouldn't, I'd start with St. Paul. You look at his letters, and when he gets onto sins explicitly or implicitly sexual, he uses this term of being enslaved and he points out that the, the reborn human being who's born again 
through baptism and the Holy Spirit and the work of faith, the gift of faith, that men and women in this new life are new creatures. They're meant to put apart from them all those activities, put them aside, leave them in the past. And the reason is you once were slaves, but now you're free. And we've got to develop, I know this is not always easy, the whole practice and concept of Christianity as freedom from being enslaved to, let's use the old word, vice. That was very useful. And if you, if you did a survey of young people, and I say this kind of anecdotally, but a lot of young people I meet, they know they're enslaved. When you talk about pornography, when you talk about masturbation, when you talk about all of it, they know. Talk about 21, 22, 23-year-old kids uh, that work in the place I work, and I have frank discussions with them. They know I'm Catholic, right? And they yep. ask me about it because I'm older. Um, and and they say, they say to me, you know, dude, Joe, I, 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 I got to leave, leave this stuff alone. I'm addicted. They know it. They know they're enslaved. And the key to that, as a good example, <laughs> and a very bad activity, is pornography. That's one of the most potent forces in the contemporary sex revolution. And now you have pornography in your cell phone. You have pornography on the internet. You have pornography in social media. And there are certain uh, people making billions of dollars out of this pornographic industry, but it does enslave, destroy. And that's why I think uh, people coming to confession with that should be very clear about it to the priest because it is one of the main ways of staying enslaved to immoral sexual activity. Absolutely. Uh, Bishop Peter Elliott is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. If you're just joining us, his new book, The Sexual Revolution, History, Ideology, Power, that's available at Ignatius Press. Please buy it from the publisher, Joe Resinello. There's so much to unpack here. I want to talk contraception in the now, in the here, in Australia, in America. Catholics are not open to life, at least to the point that they should be. They simply aren't. I went to a Catholic school. I went to a Jesuit college. I went to a million weddings. People get married in their 20s. They have one kid. How is that possible? I got married at 43. I have five. I'm 52. Uh, how is that possible? I, I, I'm not in their bedroom, but one can imagine what's going on. Um, and I'm not judging, but I do have eyes. We don't believe I, it, and yeah, we're not practicing I, I, it. Yeah, you're right. This is a problem. A lot of priests I know would talk to me about this. Um, they don't see it as a sin. Humani Vitae, 1968, oh, it's a long time ago. Pope St. Paul... Well, it's a long time since his day. And they're not up to date in the development of natural regulation of fertility. They haven't followed the life and love teaching of St. John Paul and Benedict. And they're not aware that, I think it was about a week ago, Pope Francis sent a message to the Billings Natural Family Planning Movement, one of their big meetings, completely repeating firmly the teaching of St. Paul the Sixth in Humana Vitae. But that news is often stifled. I know that I've just told you has not been reported widely. It seems to get nicely suppressed 
by elements working in our Catholic so-called media. So the good news has to come, I believe, and I've maintained this ever since I formed a close friendship with John and Lynn Billings at whose funerals I presided, that we need to give people a way through the contraceptive dilemma. And that's why Humani Vitae opens the door more clearly than Casti Canubii back in the 30s to natural child spacing, as I prefer to call it. Mm. And if, if couples get this in their practice of marriage and the discipline of marriage and the love exchange of marriage, they'll have more children. They will, because they're open to life. And goodness me, what do our societies need? More children. Just think of the numbers in your country and mine who were aborted every day. Mm. And well, you mentioned, country, you mentioned mm. Bishop earlier, you mentioned Bentham and Malthus. I, I can't see anything more that, more that proved them both wrong with the fact that we now have an underpopulation problem. Yes, and the worst case is Japan, when that's becoming clear. And why did China change its one-child policy? Because it had to. Yes, mm -hmm. and that's, that is now becoming um, more popular knowledge. People are seeing through population control more than they would have, say, 20 years ago. But that's a good sign, as long as it's uh, uh, properly interpreted. But the, the problem remains at the level of the person and the family, um, the choices to be made, and the, the idea that the world is overpopulated, that may be shifting. Although we know that the PC gang, particularly the climate alarmists, etc., keep banging that old drum. But the old drum's broken. It's, it's not just not true. So this is a, 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 a complex question, but let's get it down to a simpler personal level. What you and I can do in our families, what you and I can do in our neighbourhood. And that's another theme that, uh, that I do develop. You see, the last two chapters of my book are really what you can do to counteract the sexual revolution in your family and among your friends. So I give a lot of hope there and a lot of strategies. They're not things I invented. A lot of them come from pastoral experience, obviously, but a lot of them come from people who are on the front line in family associations and family movements who are fighting this kind of thing. But you fight it by offering something better. We're not Puritans. We're not living in Calvin's Geneva. We are open to life, and all sexual sins can be absolved. That's clear Catholic teaching. And that's another message. I heard of a teenage boy a few years ago, and uh, he said he, he, didn't, he didn't go to confession because he wasn't worthy. Well, something's gone wrong in his catechesis, <laughs> yeah. hasn't it? But uh, that, that's the kind of nonsense that trickles around still. But the, 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 the ideal of a good Christian or Jewish family is not an ideal. It's there. You can see it. Now, your home, you can see it, but you have to keep the, the doors and windows locked lest the enemy gets in. But by locking the doors and windows, I don't mean literally sealing the house off. I mean controlling the social media particularly 
knowing what your children are viewing, whether they find out from the boys usually they're seeing pornography, very, very dangerous. Yeah. Also, who they associate with, who their friends are, who the peer group is. And here you've got to look at certain schools and the, the, the fashions mean that it's no longer good to be a virgin, female or male. But Christianity and Judaism says, yes, it is. And, of course, we point to the Blessed Mother herself. Virginity is good and virginity is strong. And the witness of the religious life of women and men is, is a great support here, we know. But in the world, oh, no, virginity is something you grow out of. It's an immaturity. Yeah. It's something to be cured. And we have all those slushy teenage uh, sexy movies from your country and some from yeah. mine. I yeah, tell out. me about it. Bishop Elliot, let's start. I'm sorry to throw Let's take a quick break. All right, we, we are on the radio here, so we're coming up on a hard break. Bishop, right Bishop Peter Elliott is with us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing his new book, The Sexual Revolution, History, Ideology, Power, that's available at Ignatius Press. This is a fascinating conversation. Please don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So... Let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We are way, way, way in the breach with uh, Bishop uh, Auxiliary Bishop Emeritus of Melbourne, Australia, Peter J. Elliott. He's written a new book, The Sexual Revolution, History, Ideology, and Power, that's available at Ignatius Press. Let's, um, Bishop, if it's okay, let's talk a couple of principles, all right? Because you note there's three principles that become the building blocks of the sexual yeah. revolution. So let's start with this one. This is obviously the most fundamental, the rejection of God. Not only the rejection of God, but the rejection of God as a person who actually cares about us, that cares about how we live our lives. This is essential to the sexual revolution. Okay, God believers can have weaknesses and sins, okay. But the mentality that says either there's no God, and a lot of that's the amateur atheism of these times, as I call it, uh, and the other view, which is probably why the oh, yes, there's probably a God, but God's like the force in Star Wars, right out there in outer space. God doesn't care about you and me. God is not personal. But the real God revealed in the scriptures, Hebrew scriptures, Christian scriptures, revealed in Jesus Christ supremely is a God who is personal. The three-person trinity is one God, but personal, loving, interested in what people do in the bedroom. It'd be blunt about it. Oh, keep God out of that, they say. Or keep your religion out of there. Well, hello, God knows all things. Is God sitting there judging you and glowering at you and going to throw you to hell? No, that's not the Christian message. But the Christian message is you are accountable to God and you will certainly be accountable when you die. And that has to be re-emphasized too. The person's responsible to a personal God, yet captivated by the love of that personal God, which leads us to healing, leads us beyond and above vice of any form. Joe Resinello. 
Bishop, I, I just want to say, you are awesome. <laughs> These are just clear, clear statements. And this is what the church needs to hear in my book. You are so clear. And I can respond to that. This is, I, I, I just want to say that because like, I personally think this is what the church needs. Clarity. You're giving it. And, and you're giving explanation. Let me just say that first. Uh, talk about one of these other building blocks of the sexual revolution, separating fertility from sexual intimacy, yeah. because that is a very common idea in the West, and it's, and it's caused trouble. It's not just an idea, it's practice. And that's something that St. Paul VI pointed out in Humani Vitae uh, in 1968, and later on, uh, John Paul II pointed out in his catechesis on married love, where he developed uh, the church's teaching further by going back to Genesis, etc. And it's important that we get this quite clear. You separate love, love from life. That's the best way to put it, in my opinion. Life giving from love giving. You say, oh, we'll give life, we'll have we biologically and we, we love each other. The love's more important. So sexual love must take priority over procreation. And we don't like procreation because we call it reproduction. And it can be done in a laboratory. That's the other problem on the other side there. So you suppress fertility to gain love. You lose love, and that's the point. The Pope, and also I go back to women. Uh, Pope Paul uh, warned about women being exploited. At the time, the feminists laughed at him. They're not laughing now. Quite a few of them will tell you one of the big problems, going back to male domination, is the manipulative use of contraception, which depends on the separation of life-giving and love-giving. So it's this is a central problem not an idea it's in practice and you put this into practice you end up with teaching or believing or practicing the sexual activity as a sport and you end up having the baby if you have them um, created if you may push that word and humans shouldn't use it about ourselves made by people in the laboratory yeah. Well, uh, there was one other principle. I'm very curious about this one. Uh, Bishop Peter Elliott joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. So you mentioned that a, there's a radical shift, a radical change uh, from what was defined as the nature of the human person. So what, if you don't mind for our audience, again, educate us a little bit, Bishop, um, what was or how was human nature defined and what did that change into vis-a-vis -vis the sexual revolution? Well, we inherit the Judeo-Christian uh, humanism, the understanding of the nature of the human person, human anthropology in its spiritual and philosophical sense. What is a human being? Now, that came unstuck largely in the 19th century, although most people didn't see it happening, when the human being is defined as a clever monkey which is, I know, a parody of evolution, I know that. But people got that crude idea into their heads, many of them, and therefore our morality is animal. And the morality that we put in practice is invented. 
that's this is uh, and therefore it's, a, it's a, a, something imposed by worst of all the family or the church or the tribe but then we get to the 20th century and you have the appearance of gender ideology which goes back to a deeper question what is a human being again and identity and the gender ideology is saying you can be whatever you think you are and this is the split between the body and the mind it's parallel to the split between life giving and love giving in the contraceptive question perfectly parallel so if i think i'm a man and i'm a woman i am a man vice versa etc etc and that's pretty devastating when you have an eight year old boy saying that to you and that's happened it happens again and again now, and he's encouraged in some places or discouraged in others so the the identity of the person is completely in my hands not our hands because we have radical individualism which all the modern popes have criticized here and there's my morality and your morality what's right for you may be wrong for me what's wrong for me may be right this is the idea of me my it's totally self-centered and it's all about identity which i create and again i say that's a word we should reserve for god but it's widely used by people Bishop Elliot, I have a I have an historical question for you. Obviously, there's much we could learn from you about history. You know about revolutions. Let's take, let's say, just as for, as an example, the October Revolution, 1917. Okay, you have groups of Russians coming together to overthrow the Tsar. Once they're successful, the first thing that happens is civil war. They have to fight and kill one another to see who emerges in the end. Where am I going with this? You mentioned feminism. You mentioned gender ideology. They currently, to me, seem at odds with one another because you have, you have women who are, who, who are railing against gender ideology because they feel like it, it, that women are not being protected. In America, it has to do mostly with sports and things like that. And I'm just curious as your thought. I mean, if they were to win this ultimately, and God willing, they will not, okay, this, this spiritual battle that they win, aren't they eventually going to have to start fighting one another? I think that's already happening. Uh, I think a lot of feminists, um, there are many forms of feminism, are fed up with the gender ideology. We have uh, Aki Rowling's, the famous uh, author, English author of the Harry Potter books, and she's come out and said, look, a woman's a woman. And she's been vilified and attacked for this. But then there are other people with a feminist mindset who are saying, but you're right. They're agreeing with her. And now there are cases of academic women who are feminists who've got up and said in a university, well, women are women and men are men. Oh, they're now castigated and some are even being sacked. Yes, the, the, the war is on. It, you, it's, I wouldn't call it a civil war. I think it's a bit more subtle than that. It's part of the hit back against the sexual revolution. The next stage is to show the feminists who object to being classified merely as a gender you pick and choose to show them there's a better way and that's our duty and our mission and uh, to show them also as i've said again i i'm very pro-woman i'm writing this book has made me more so uh, because i see women as the victims and 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 there's a shift in rational feminism in that direction now at the other end of the spectrum you have a lunatic um, 
crazy, deranged feminism of Judith Butler. And um, she, she's a very original thinker. But she, she, uh, she won't even call herself me or I. It's, it, she calls herself they. This is the radical shift there. But that stuff is on the fringe. And I think a lot of feminists are reacting against it and are starting to question it. Thank God. Joe Racinello. Bishop, you mentioned about the climate cult. We see a lot of uh, globalist ideas coming across the West, Australia, Canada, U.S., Europe. Um, they're against clearly uh, the European like ideology being put forth on, say, Native Americans. I know this is a big thing in the U.S., in Canada. Yet, these same globalists, and this is not conspiracy theory, and please, if I'm wrong, correct me. They're pushing their ideology on Africa, on India, with regard to population control. They're basically holding many of these countries the aid, I know I, I could speak for America, almost hostage if they don't put forth some of these agendas, which would ultimately limit the babies that are born, particularly in Africa and in India. Um, talk to that, because it sounds to me like it's a double standard. We're saying we want to help like indigenous people. They changed Columbus Day in the United States. It's now Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, yet, they have no problem with us telling them, we know better than you. We're going to help you. And many of these countries don't want the help. I agree with you. This is the, this is the, the latest phase, is to um, take control of ethnic movements, movements to protect Indigenous people, particularly in my country. This is a massive issue this year of our Australian Aborigines. Uh, who are misnamed First Nations, and that is that you could never use that word technically about them. They're wonderful people. They're now become a political football in my country. Uh, but in the shifting to the slightly different perspective of population, we've had the problem for many years, and I recall this when I worked in the Vatican and went to conferences in the U.S., and actually, Eve stopped at a Planned Parenthood conference for a day. Um, why are wealthy women living in penthouses overlooking Central Park threatened by the little women in Bangladesh or India who are having babies? But they are. They've developed this ideology. So, therefore, you have to put all the money from the different foundations, etc. Good marker, Rockefeller and the activists with money like Soros, you put it into stopping them having babies. It'll solve, solve everything. But you notice if you get into those cultures deeply, that when they're lifted out of poverty, they have less children naturally. And often there are places still where a baby means someone who look after you when you're old because there are no pensions. These are, these are aspects of justice that the church is aware of. But you're quite right, the, the manipulation of these questions, but always in favour of the, the wealthy, settled people in our societies, which includes just about all of us. But it's not in favour of us in the end. 
this is a, a I think the Pope calls this kind of thing neo-colonialism he's very good on that theme and he says there's a colonizing mentality from the west he sees it in the gender ideology being intruded into societies which never suffered from that kind of uh, ideological construct or fantasy so we are we are in a time where the, the colonization of ideas has replaced the um, colonization based on power and economy of the 19th century. Bishop Elliott, let me let me stay there for a second because it's really galling to, to, to Joe and myself, and I know to you, obviously, you've been around longer than we have. That's all we've heard our whole lives, especially from Western elites. Um, I remember hearing it when I was a kid. We cannot impose our values on, on people of color in India, you're railing against the British in India or the French in Africa. We cannot, we can't do that to them. They have their own culture, blah, blah, blah. Well, in Africa, it's a predominantly Christian culture. And Joe and I have covered it on the show uh, over and over again, where in Tanzania and South Africa and, and, and other, there's people speaking out saying, we don't want abortion. We don't want the LGBT stuff. We don't want any of it, okay? Why is it that we allow these people who say we have no right to colonize in the past to actually get away with it now when what they really mean is in the past or what they meant in the past was you don't have the right to export Christianity to yeah, these countries. I think you're, you're right there because you start go back to the first principles of atheism and a reduced understanding of the human person, etc. And when you start there, you will find yourself colonizing ideologically and also with the economic aspects, the new economic aspects um, that you want to create consumers. That's from the, the side of the corporations. So it, it looked at generally is quite obviously, from our point of view, a case of a new colonialism. And one of It's not just the mind, it's the way people live. Now, okay, nobody's going to praise all the details of the colonialism that happened in my country, for example, and in yours. But there was a good side to it. You're not allowed to say that. Look at India. I have Indian friends, the priests I work with in this parish are Indian, and we discussed this. And, and they point out the British did do terrible things in India, but they also did wonderful things. Schools, roads, uh, whole administrative structure. And democracy, India is a democracy, unlike China, which has never been a democracy. And you've got these factors. And that's why interfering with India in particular is very unwise because they have played an important geopolitical role in the modern world to counterbalance China. And they are, if you're into marketing, the big market. Going to Africa, I wouldn't have as much experience as you have, although I have been to Kenya and Ghana and Egypt I've seen different, the Islamic society, the Christian-dominated societies, and you're quite right. I found comments uh, in Kenya very negative about uh, the, the contraception and particularly um, same-sex activity from educated African people. And, all, and, and you're going to the tribes. They, in the tribes, the people have the natural religions, which often have a very serious and well-formed morality in terms of family and marriage but we often don't see it because we look at the details and look at the whole shape of it so you're quite right but this is the the degradation of societies which is happening 
uh, all around the world. What upsets Joe, and I'm going to hand it over to Joe, what upsets us more than anything else is the same people that are always crying racist, 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 racist. They seem to think that the problem in the world is that there's too many black and brown babies being born, and yet they have the nerve to call the rest of us racist. But we only have a little bit of time. I want to continue the conversation on the book that's written by uh, Bishop Peter Elliott in the name of the book available at Ignatius Press. And Bishop is holding it up for those of you viewing this uh, broadcast, The Sexual Revolution, History, Ideology, and Power that's available at Ignatius Press. Joe Racinello, where do you want to go, brother? Your Eminence, this is such an important piece of, if you ask me, text, because you're not only diagnosing the problems, you're giving solutions. The road to defeating the sexual revolution begins and ends in the family, whether you live in Australia, in America, in Tanzania, wherever. Families, good Catholic families open to life who believe in the teachings of the church who frankly sacrifice for each other and vocations will come out of those families there lies the solution am i right you're completely right uh, i would extend it as i do in my book in an interfaith ecumenical direction that good practicing jewish families and good devout evangelical or orthodox families are in the same league to bring Christian family life to the fore, to protect it, to promote it, and to open the home carefully to young people from outside who are victims of the sex revolution. And one of the saddest things is we're now getting the uh, bad situation from one point of view, but I think it's good, where you find young people who have suffered from the sexual revolution, the breakup of their own homes, the many divorces, etc., they will often want to come and visit or stay with stable families to see and taste something they never had or they know now that they lost that was stolen from them, in fact. And I think that's another ministry of reaching out prudently, of course, to the victims of the sexual revolution, to find inspiration in our families. Okay, our family's unperfect. We're not goody-two-shoes, we know that. But the, the family is also at the heart of society that's consistent Catholic social teaching. The living cell is not the individual. Again, that's the wrong ideology. It's the family. But then we have another little word game. I, want, I think it's happening in your country as it certainly is in mind. We have domestic violence, which is terrible. And, these, and I, I argue it's developing more, getting worse through the sexual revolution. But a, a lot of people don't say domestic violence. They say family violence. Well, just a moment. That's insidious. The family's not responsible for the violence. Oh, but Marcuse and the Marxists say it is. So they, we're using the language there of putting the blame on the family. The blame is largely with individuals, mainly males, but not always. So the words that should be used only are domestic violence. Don't blame the family. But they want us to blame the family. They want to blame the family for what goes wrong in it. Family support is important. I, I emphasise in the book people who are drifting or imagining in a, a depressed way that they're, you know, we're the only Christian family in our street, etc., and uh, we're very isolated. Well, 
look around and join family associations because they're there. And that's something that we encouraged when I worked in the Vatican. It was a major work in the Council for the Family, family Associations, Family Societies, Marriage Support Groups, Marriage Encounter Groups, all these groups that are building up the family. That's what our work has to be. So you're never isolated. You never say, oh, we're the only Christian in our whole area. That's not true. And you might be surprised to find that down the road there's some born-again Christians running a, a, a very good family system in their house, and round the, round the other corner are some devout traditional Jews doing the same thing. But we've all got to link up and work together. But nobody should ever feel depressed or isolated. Help is there. It's out there and it's in here in your family and mine. Bishop Elliot, let me let me ask you this. One of the reasons why Joe Rosanello were encouraged to do our to begin our show five years ago was by a good Catholic priest, a Franciscan from the Bronx. Um, and he really wanted us to speak to men. Now I'm gonna throw this out there to you. How much of an effect, and I please anybody out there listening, Joe and I and 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 his eminence, we're all flawed human beings. Nobody's judging anybody. But if Catholic men truly, let's take America, for example, okay, truly acted like Catholic men, if they had their consciousness raised beyond the day-to-day and to look at many of the problems that you're discussing in your book, okay, how, I mean, I'm of the opinion that if Catholic men stepped up in America, not only would our politics change, our culture would change like that. And that's not to take anything away from, from Christians and, and Jews, and because they're, like you said, there are friends in this, okay? Um, those who are with the families and believe in the Logos and, and all of it, okay? But how important is it for Catholic men to step up and fight this battle? Absolutely important, because we've had this undercurrent, which I think is associated with the early years in the 20th century, of the sex revolution and the rise of the television sitcoms where dad is a fool and mother's wise. Now, this wasn't framed in a feminist form originally, but the idea is that the guys are stupid and guys are interested only in manly things. What manly things I mean in a very loose sense. And and therefore, uh, they're a bit dumb, they can't do much. I think that underestimates the Christian male and we need associations and some of these are forming. I know in a diocese near our diocese is a very strong one of getting the men of the parish to come together as men and recatechizing them in the role of the father, the good husband, the good provider and a warrior for the truth on the human family and the truth and meaning of human sexuality can be done. You'll find there are associations already in the US. Find out what they are, promote them. And I think you guys working in the marvelous apostolate of Catholic media, it's open to you to take this up. So I'm challenging you a bit to find these uh, male associations which do exist and give them a bit of a push. No, no, we we absolutely will, Bishop, because like I said, we're, Joe and I are blessed. We're both working men. We don't get paid to do this. Um, hopefully, but maybe, who knows, maybe down the road we will. But in the meantime, we're going to keep doing it because of everything that you've written in your book, amongst other things, of course. But again, just to put a finer point on it, 
you know, if people would realize that sexual re- the sexual revolution is slavery, sexual liberation is political control, then maybe they would wake up. Unfortunately, uh, Bishop Peter J. Elliott, we do have to leave it there. The book, for all of you out there, please go and buy it from Ignatius Press. Buy it from the publisher, The Sexual Revolution, History, Ideology, Power, that is written by the Most Reverend Peter J. Elliott, Auxiliary Bishop Emeritus of Melbourne, and we were so honored to have had him on the show. Bishop, I don't need to tell you, you are welcome back with open arms to this show anytime, sir. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. All right. And God bless you. And thank you all out there for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Two things. Download the app. Share it with your friends. We are an EWTN affiliate that you get that programming and original programming. And whenever you see Joe and I on social media, help us out. Hit a button, like, subscribe, share, follow on Twitter, whatever you can do to help us out. We'd really appreciate it. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.